Okay, here we are with Joseph. Joseph, can you introduce yourself? Hi, yes. Uh, my name is Joseph. I am an immigrant and refugee here in the United States, but I'm also an indigenous person from the Philippines. I identify as Katutubo, which is the term used to designate indigenous folks uh, classified by the federal government in the Philippines. My mom is Sambal Ita from the Aita and Lipi community. My father is Ilocano as well as Tuwali Ifugao. Um, I also forgot that my mom is also part of uh, Iranun, which is the southern tribe about four generations away from the Mindanao Islands. Um, my educational focus uh, looks at um, how indigenous people in the Philippines and also overall how race, racial construction and indigeneity outside of Western or uh, global North complicate uh, racial construction here in the United States. So how do we as indigenous people in the Philippines who's been racialized and seen as a cultural minority become Filipino in the United States? And um, I came here in 1991 as a refugee. Uh, my village and a lot of other indigenous people were evacuated because of, uh, because of a volcano that erupted in uh, northern Philippines in the Luzon region. And so the U.S. military evacuated us uh, inside military air cargo flights. And so we became refugees here in 1991 in California. Thank you for that. Okay, so we'll start with the first question, which is, uh, can you talk about your perspective on reappropriation within the Philippine American community? Yes, I think one of the things that I want to start off is that in the Philippines, there are over 150, roughly around 180 um, ethno-linguistic and indigenous communities. And so the term Filipino in itself under the Philippine Constitution and historically has always been about a national identity, has not nothing to do with cultural ties, has nothing to do with ethnic particular groups. The problem is with many immigrant communities that come to the United States is the simplification of identity, right? So having various categories in the Philippines, having a census that designate which ethnic groups and different indigenous communities um, are placed in the in the nation state as well as uh, the population becomes just Filipino or Filipinx in the in the diaspora, and so a lot of that conversation just is is happening now where many of us indigenous people don't feel like we are part of the Filipino or Filipinx American community. Uh, where we are in the Philippines, we're seen as, as like I said, an ethnic or cultural minority. We are protected by the federal government. Uh, we fought for uh, federal recognition and federal rights. Here in the United States, we become part of a whole. Um, and with that part of the whole comes many Filipinx Americans who are generationally uh, separated from the Philippines, who are trying to find their indigenous identity. And with that comes more of a simplification of appropriation. So they start grabbing onto indigenous identities and indigenous communities in the Philippines and become and you become commodified into this indigenization and decolonization process without actually having a conversation about does that mean it's offensive for us? Do we understand Filipinx Americans understand the complexity 
of the Philippines. And um, more so, a lot of the Philippines Americans always throw the card around. Well, that's colonial mentality. Colonial, colonial mentality means separating uh, different communities. Well, yes. And colonial mentality also means that we become Filipino in a, in a place that has always been pushed out outside. You know, we've been seen as not. And colonial mentality also means taking something that's not yours, simplifying it, and uh, become, becoming objectified. So you see many Filipinx uh, folks here in the United States in particular are, are you know, getting these tattoos, uh, quote-unquote tribal tattoos, um, from going back to the Philippines or getting it from here in the United States without really knowing the identity or cultural ties to it. Well, many Igorots and many indigenous peoples have to earn our tattoos, right? Um, you see folks wearing beaded jewelry from southern tribes uh, with uh, uh, textile material from the northern tribes, which we understand as two different cultural traits, two different cultural communities, but in, here in the United States, it just becomes one. So when we say appropriation, I think I actually want to say reappropriation because they're not just taking something from people who are still alive, people who are still having a community, indigenous and ethnic groups in the Philippines and making it theirs, but they're also changing the meaning of it. Um, and they're trying to do this in a, in a way which I understand, they're trying to find their identity. I totally understand that, but they're doing it so in a capitalist way where they can just purchase a textile or, or you know, do some research online and then all of a sudden they become this indigenized Filipinx who actually gets hurt when indigenous people start calling them out on these appropriations and reappropriations. Um, like, we don't do all these things. Like they create this pan-Filipino altar to their ancestors without really understanding that different tribes and different communities have different ways of worshiping or of venerating their ancestors. Uh, they're playing gong music from the south while wearing northern uh, tribes uh, textile, while wearing beaded jewelry from the central tribes. And it just becomes this sort of performance uh, that they're, they're craving for an, a pre-colonial past, an indigenized identity, but that means we as indigenous people are regulated into these like imagined time frames that only exist in the mind of Filipino Americans. Like we can never be modernized. Um, I give an example where many of some of us tribal folks from the the north were, were dancing in the park and playing gongs and everything. Um, and this Filipino person was saying like, "Oh, you all would have been much better if you were wearing your costume. You, you you're not real. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look authentic." That means for us tribal folks who wear jeans, we lose our tribal identity in the minds of Filipinos because we have to be always in this imagined pre-modern time. And so appropriation doesn't necessarily just mean, um, you know, the, the, the material possession, but also suspending indigenous people into a state that they can never have our own, uh, sort of say like we can't have our own designated time uh, self-determined as a explanation or definition of what does it mean to be quote unquote modern or outside of our tribal land. Yeah, I mean that's I wanna get more into like comparison with what the Chicano movement with this, but I wanna go ahead and ask you about first before I do, um 
can you talk about how many indigenous groups are in the Philippines and um, how how does the you know sovereignty play out? How does you know uh, how does what's the role of like the Filipino government with uh, these tribes? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that pe- many folks will not in the Philippine American community uh, will not accept is that the Philippines is actually a settler colonial state. Um, it is, by definition, by uh, by constitution, by culture, they actually acknowledge that uh, folks who immigrate to, like, say, like the, the southern island of Mindanao to the northern mountains of the Cordilleras as Settlers, that is the official term, lowland Christian settlers. So by culture, sure. Um, you, you, the, like the more common way of describing folks is already, these are lowland Christians, these are lowland Filipinos who are settling, settlers, right? So that's one of the, the more modern conversations around it. Second conversation around it is that after um, 1997, so 1997, and then the different tribal, other tribal communities had uh, ancestral domain rights that they were still fighting. So there's this interesting conversation with indigenous folks and now also what they call cultural minorities or cultural communities, right? So there, there's a stratification of like civilized, modernized Filipino, then you have your cultural communities, which are sort of like the cultural minorities and then the indigenous peoples. But back then the cultural communities were, were always seen as indigenous until a lot of the cultural changes in the 90s. Um, but these these concepts of like indigeneity, indigenous folk, uh, ind- uh, indigenization movements in the Philippines is very different than what it is here in the United States. Uh, you have a history of the Philippines where presidents were saying, we need to colonize, we need to civilize uh, Filipino, uh, I mean, Southern um, tribes and Northern tribes, the Muslim community, the the animist communities. And those were rhetorics that came from, yes, from American and Spanish influence and, and, and sort of colonial mentality. But it also denies the fact that there were many independence movements that were happening in the Philippines during Spanish colonization and American colonization, not just from Western uh, you know, uh, uh, government's influence and control, but also away from the Philippines as the modern nation state. You had the, uh, many northern tribes from the Cordilleras who demanded independence from the Philippines. And even up to right now, both Moro, the Muslim uh, cultural communities, um, and the Lumads, which is the is now considered indigenous tribal communities of the southern islands, are still fighting for um uh, some of them are fighting for independence. Some of them are fighting for more uh, autonomy or self-determined rights. And it's always the infringement of the northern governments that come down and tell these communities that you can't practice your culture, you can't practice uh, your language, you have to learn the national identity. And and then if you don't, you can, you're marked as some leftist communist organization that, you know, that's the terrorist group. And without understanding the fact that the Philippines also has laws that says, uh, you know, 
they have a they had a terra nullis law that says these certain lands of indigenous peoples, these ancestral domains, are not being used and therefore must be given to Christian or lowland settlers to come in, uh, develop, have homes, and have communities. Um, so th th it's it's complicated, and I think that's where the things where global indigenous peoples who are now in diaspora are sort of butting heads with indigenous communities and indigenous studies um, and also these quote-unquote third world study folks or even within ethnic studies because we don't talk about what does it mean to be global indigenous doesn't we don't talk about the racial construction outside of the united states like do you have do you like in one of the the references i talked to with some folks is we're talking about chinese americans do we include tibetan americans in that no, because Tibetans would say no, Tibet, uh, China colonized Tibet. And so the complications of race, ethnicity, indigeneity um, is often not discussed in the United States and becomes simplified into these nationalist identities. And you have generations of folks who are trying to decolonize or indigenize and tries to grab onto the most quote unquote simple or most attractive or most um, available cultural identity and take it as theirs um, and then they re recreate this narrative of what does it mean to be a pre-colonial or indigenized identity in diaspora because if you do that in the philippines you have a different discussion we like we don't have quote-unquote racism the same way as racism here in the united states the conversation that's happening in the philippines right now is ethnocentricism so what happens when you have a particular ethnic group who thinks that they're uh, better or higher or more sophisticated or more modern than another ethnic group or another indigenous community. Okay, well, so these, I have a question, maybe um, I don't know how to ask it. So these Filipino uh, people, Filipinx communities in America that reappropriate uh, the, these you know, indigenous cultures, are they not connected to a tribal group or they don't know which tribal group they belong to? Is that, um, is, I think is, is that why they're yeah. doing the way that the, the stuff they're doing or what? I think it's it's complicated in that sense that they so there's like I said like there's stratification of identities in the Philippines right um, and many of these folks who came here are are Tagalog or Bisayans Ilocanos Kapampangan you know they're different ethnic groups in the Philippines but I think one of the things that uh, that I want to critique more on that is there's sort of this romanticization of the pre-colonial, right? And so they could, we can say, yes, Tagalogs are indigenous, lowercase i, uh, and I want to get into that in a bit, lowercase i in the, in the Philippines. But indigenous with an uppercase i is a political statement that was fought by indigenous peoples in the Philippines to designate ourselves as separate. Not necessarily the government designating us. It's, it was our self-determination that demanded that we be seen as a cultural bearer for our communities, for our our, our tribes, for our our nations. Um, and so, here in the in the United States, and even in Canada, there's this very uh, romanticized notion of indigeneity, of indigenous communities. And so, they get what they perceive to be more authentic. And we can always, you know, critique what authenticity is. But there is this romance that comes out of it. And in a sense, also this fetish 
I need that, like, you know, if I'm going to be saying, like, I'm Filipino-American, that I need to be indigenized, and therefore I need to get some form of textile, some form of uh, tattoo, some form of musical instrument that that proves my connection to this imagined pan-ethnic, pan-national identity called Filipino in the Philippines. That only happens here in the United States. In the Philippines, uh, there's a lot of discussions around preserving indigenous cultures, indigenous identities, and even languages. And the Philippines sees itself as a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-indigenous nation state. But here in the United States, there's this need to be simplified, the, the, the need for simplification because the term Filipino is just a nationalist identity that they grab on to these material identities that you can Google online and be like, hey, I want to know what are the tribes of the Philippines? And then you say, oh, that color is nice. So I'm going to grab that, you know, that textile and wear it around at every conferences, grab that, you know, that beaded jewelry and say, I'm in support of these tribes without understanding that one, that's also very consumerist. And two, you yeah. don't really know the struggles and identity of that tribe. You you want to be indigenized. And so you create this sort of like what I call, it's a small world or it's a small Philippines um identity wherever you go because you have you know you have a what we call um, the maranao tribes malong on with the tiboli tribes uh, headpiece with uh, uh, yeah, bontok or kalinga tattoos like you're just becoming this entity that doesn't exist outside of the philippines uh, that exists only outside i mean of the philippines and in the philippines if that happens there's you know indigenous people would call you out and be like, hey, that's appropriation. But if we're here in the United States, when I, as an indigenous person, call out many salams, they would say, well, you're playing on colonial mentality. You're playing colonial tropes. And I'm just like, yes. And you are also playing on that because you are legitly appropriating a, a culture and identity just because you want to perform an indigenized self outside of, you know, outside of, uh, of your identity. Yeah, so I want to give a little bit of backstory. When um, I used to go to UCSD, and the first time I met you, you came in and you it was during one one of um, it was way I don't know if there's an Indigenous Studies class. I mean, program now, but it was part of Ross Frank's class, and um, you came in and then you were talking about these issues you are talking about right now, and then you you kind of compared it a little bit to like the Chicano issue, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first time I heard somebody in academics talk about <clears throat> Chicano issues the way I have, you know. Uh -huh. So um, do you see a comparison? Because, you know, you said you said the Philippinex American community, you know, do these acts and they're, they're colonial. But, you know, I've been saying the same thing about the, the Chicano community here. And it, to me, I, it seems like people like. They, they, they fetishize, uh, you know, uh, indigenous communities and, you know, and, and then they pan Indian size too. They're like, oh, we're going to wear a headdress or like mm -hmm. all, all native peoples use eagle feathers, but there's like specific tribes that use specific birds. It's not just eagle feathers. There's hawks too. And, you know, uh, other, other birds like the macaws or whatever. And, you know, and it's, it's to me, it's wild that you don't like, let's say, you know, let's, let's point out the Chicano 
uh, movement, they they romanticize like Aztec dress, right? Mm -hmm. As if like that's mm -hmm. the only tribe in Mexico or something. And, you know, people that don't know which tribe they're from start like Aztec dancing and, you know, speaking Nahuatl. And they're like, this is how we're going to decolonize. But they do this like fucking Nahuatl people in Mexico and they don't like act the way you do. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. they, they, don't, they don't do the way you do. It's almost like a charade, you know? And they think like they think they can come here, you know, and be like, oh, well, I'm indigenous from without you know, assuming they're indigenous, right? They're, they're assumed they're indigenous. Like, oh, I'm like Chichimeca. Well, Chichimeca is like a term that's, it's kind of like coastal natives or like it's kind of like plains native. So that term itself is not really like a tribe, right? They just mm -hmm. use it like I'm Chichimeca. And it's just fucking asinine. But it's like me saying I'm a plains native. It's like no shit, but what tribe? Comanche. Oh, okay. I understand now. You know what I'm saying? Or Kiowa or Lakota. You know, Rapaho with the plain tribes, but um, you know they 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 you know they dress up and they start taking culture from you know natives above the border and below the border too, you know, and they're like, oh well, if I'm indigenous, I, I'm I'm entitled to all these cultures, you know, without earning it, without learning about it, without you know, without um, you know, going through the process of culture. We, without the process of community, you know? And I think that's what I've been talking about for like over 13 years now. So when I, mm -hmm. when, I, when we first spoke, I think it was the first time like I heard somebody, yeah, in academia that was like talking about this and it was, it was I was relieved, you know? Yeah. So do you want to talk about that or your yeah. perspective? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that, um... Like again, like in the simplification is, I feel like becomes the core value of many indigenization and decolonization movement. And I'm going to be very forward with that. Um, the simplification demands that identities can't be complex and that cannot, uh, like if you're going to say, whether it be the Philippine X indigenization movement or even like the, you know, the Chicano movement, Chicanx movement, it's happening there's this sort of disconnect with what's really happening in 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 the nation state of Mexico and the Philippines, right? The complexities around indigeneity and indigenous communities, minorities. And so you the the folk folks grab on to these mythical identities of one pan pan ethnic, pan-national identity, right? So you have the concept of Atslan um that you know was a very 1960s movement 1970s movement same thing in the philippines you had these like indigenization movements that were happening uh in the 60s and 70s to sort of reclaim what does it mean to be filipino and in this case what does it mean to be chicana right or chicana um but but at the cost of simplification at the cost of indigenous people who are still struggling for identity is still struggling to maintain their language is still struggling to maintain their land right um and the material vision is what's being what's happening in these decolonization and indigenization movements um erasure of the actual struggles of contemporary indigenous peoples are being you know is is common how do you address folks from the Chiapas or folks who are now and their struggle with the nation state of Mexico without seeing that the fact that the Mexican nation state 
has a violent relationship with indigenous peoples. And then all of a sudden, just because you're quote unquote on the other side of the nation state, that you are somehow connected to those identities, right? And I see these spiritual, the, this spirit quest that was like, that's very prominent of like folks who are trying to decolonize. And I've had, you know, I've, I've had friends and students who've, who've gone to the Chiapas and all of a sudden realized, oh, this is my indigenous self. I have Filipinos who go to the mountains of my region and then be like, oh, I found my pre-colonial identity. And I'm like, those quote unquote spirit quests is very one of appropriative and two you don't understand the current nature and current situation uh, issues that's happening and so all of a sudden you the first thing that anyone who tried to decolonize is always around the language and the material possession right so they need to learn a language that sort of separates them from the rest of the colonized uh, identities that they're trying to decolonize from and then the second thing is they have to buy the textile and let's just be real with that. They go to these indigenous uh, communities. They have to buy the blankets first. They have to buy, like, that they can put as a wall decor. Uh, they buy jewelry and all this. Because so they, they want to present themselves. That there's this image of an acceptable, decolonized identity. Um, and all of a sudden, and then the next step would be sort of these ceremonial, spiritual things. Like, they all of a sudden revert back to quote-unquote colonial uh, uh, spirituality of worshiping particular deities. and But at the same time, they're, they're clumping different communities and different indigenous groups together who might not even believe in that. Like I literally just came from uh, last week from an interview, a Zoom uh, um, event, where this Filipino guy was saying that we have to return to our roots, we have to pray to our ancestors, and started praying to a Tagalog god. And everybody was like submitting themselves to this deity who is not, you know, not one, that's not my the deity of my tribe, not of my people. And everybody was like, yes, this is, in, you know, return to our ancestors. And I'm like, let's have a different conversation about who your ancestors are, because your ancestors would never have done that. Because um, some of you are not even Tagalog people, and two, like if you're gonna say my my ancestors killed colonizers, uh, my ancestors killed the people who killed the colonizers, right? Because we and they're gonna throw away, they're gonna throw the immediate card of oh that's tribalism, that's feudalism, that's pre-colonial you know mentality or colonial mentality, and then I'm just like, you can't as an indigenous person you can't win when you speak out because yeah, at some point exactly. it's not about me and my people it's now about them and their feelings exactly that's exactly what what oh man that's exactly what the i think the problem is it's like people you know they don't oh man it's so hard you know they, they don't, indigenous people today cannot cry about decolonization apparently because for us if we say we're decolonizing that literally means separating from the modern nation state yeah so i think it, it gets even a little bit further with um the, the Chicano uh, movement of the community, you know, since I've been, you know, growing up, I've been watching it. They've been fetishizing, um, you know, the Aztec, you know, culture and language and everything. But then, like lately, within the last, I would say, like under ten years, they've been like Google since Google since the internet came out, like Google, like it's been getting like worse, right? 
Mm-hmm. So they they would Google like, oh, what's indigenous peoples from like Michoacan, right? I had this person that, that claims to be native. She told me that her boyfriend, he doesn't know what tribe he's from. So she Googled like what tribe is in Michoacan, Mexico. And then she she found out it was Putapecha. So she told him to claim Putapecha. Like that's not how it fucking works, right? Yeah. So, and you have these now, these DNA tests that's happening too. Oh, God, and then, yeah. Right? And then we have to prob- problematize these DNA, these DNA tests because they're like, uh, you're from Nigeria, you're from, you know, Southeast, like, you know, from Indonesia. And I'm like, no, those are modern nation states. You can't say that. Yeah. And, it, you can't, you, and then oh you're also God. denying the fact that some, some tribes and some indigenous peoples, quote unquote, before colonization were not stationary. Exactly. Oh my God. Yes. And there's like people now that like within the Chicano community, they're like, Oh, decolonize your DNA test. Like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, like it's just the weirdest fucking thing I've seen. So, Oh man. And you can't decolonize DNA testing because DNA testing is already a Western concept. That's like, exactly. that, is an an- <laughs> that is an anthropological and biological project that made first and foremost, made white folks feel comfortable that they were attached to some country that they've disconnected from. Exactly. And now we are, and exactly. many folks now are using it and trying to find their identity, which, you know, bless their hearts, they're trying to find their identity. But at the same time, it creates a simplified identity. So that's the thing, you know, since the internet, you know, has come out, I've noticed that people like want to pan Indian, Indian size, like um, things like oh turtle island you know oh, yeah somebody was like oh do you know your your tribe's turtle island story and i was like i don't think comanches have a turtle island story i i asked around right yeah and everybody every comanche were like that's not us dude like that's like another tribe you know over here and i was like okay, okay cool whatever so then when this person asked me like do you know your tribe's turtle island story i was like we don't have one and she was like oh you're not native because you don't know every tribe has a turtle island story like oh you don't mm-hmm, sweat mm-hmm. You're, you're not native i'm like comanches don't sweat lots dude that's not part of our culture some do yeah. with other tribes but it's not that's not a comanche thing you know what I'm saying? So like it's yeah. like saying like every tribe lives in teepees or every tribe lives like in longhouses. That's fucking bullshit, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, these people want to, you know, pan indicize all these these issues. And, and then to me, like with the internet, things it's so easy to like find things or like to be like they'll say some, you know, like really like uh catchy thing like, oh, I'm on Tongva land, I'm on Kumie land right now. So I'm like, okay. So you're, you're, you're acknowledging your native land and, you know, you're acknowledging their sovereignty, but they don't even understand the fucking sovereignty part. So I'm like, what yeah, are you acknowledging? Yeah. What are you acknowledging? You, want, you just want to sound clever? Like, it's, it's nice that you, you acknowledge your native land, but this, it, it goes past that too, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. just like, you need to like understand our politics, you know, in, 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 in you know, our, our, our sovereignty before you start like acting like you're in solidarity with us, you know? Yeah. And I think that was one of the things I, I came to this event and there was, there's a person who was like, we want to honor um, the Turtle Island and the Kumeyaay people. And I'm like, whoa, those two things don't even match. Like exactly. Turtle Island is not part of the cosmology of the Kumeyaay people. And I'm not going to go around saying, you know, yes, I say like, oh, I'm I'm a settler and uh, unseceded Kumeyaay land, but I'm not going to go around saying Turtle Island because that's not part of the community that I want to be in solidarity with at this particular time, right? And so it becomes a simplified 
thing of like we are all in Turtle Island. I'm like, no, nah, fool, like that's not <laughs> that not not everyone subscribes to Turtle Island as an identity. I agree. And yeah. by doing that, that's simplifying again indigenous and the complex positions and cost, uh, complex identities of in various Native American communities here in the United States. Yeah, it's 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 rough out there, man. Because like, if you if you you know, um, if you question these people that are trying to be colonized that don't know, oh, let me go back a little bit. Yeah, if you question these people that are, you know, like trying to decolonize that don't know um, what tribe they're from, they call you like, what do they call you? Um, gatekeeper. There you go. And they, yeah. And they call mm-hmm. me gatekeeper all the time. It's funny because they're like, you're a gatekeeper. I'm like, you know what? I am a gatekeeper. Because I'm a gatekeeper to our sovereignty. So if you you want to like, you know, infringe on our cultural sovereignty and our, and our tribal sovereignty, yeah, indigenous people are gatekeepers. They should be to our own sovereignty. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So if, yeah. you don't, if you don't like that, that's not even a fucking slur anymore. That's like you're, you're fucking right. You're yeah. I'm, they're right. I'm a, I am a fucking gatekeeper. If you don't like it, tough shit for you. It's not about your feelings no more. You know. Well, I think it's, it's interesting because when people say gatekeeping, it's legitly. They're going against individuals who are trying to one preserve culture, preserve identity, and preserve their land. Yeah, right. And so they're like, you're like even with me, like they're like, oh, you're you're gatekeeping uh, indigenous identities, and I'm like, so you're telling me that me preserving my culture and my identity for my people in relations to our land is gatekeeping because you can't buy it. Exactly. You can't, go- you can't Google online and. And, and all of a sudden pretend yourself to be an Igorot because, you know, you don't know your tribe or you don't know your your cultural identity. Sure, I'm sorry, you don't know, but it doesn't mean it gives you the right to infringe on our identity. And then when we call you out, all of a sudden we're gatekeeping. So the latest thing I've heard was just like within the last, like, I think three, four years is the term detribalized indigenous. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck does that mean? So like, I don't know what tribe I'm from, but I'm indigenous, but I just don't know what tribe. How do you claim something that you don't know if you are or not? It's fucking stupid, you know? I don't know, yeah. man, what the fuck? And I think that the whole detribalization has two things, right? So yes, you don't know your ancestor and the tribe that they're from because of colonization, because of Western expansion. Sure, I accept that. And, and I want to be very firm with this, and it doesn't mean that you have to try to figure out the pre-modern identity by trying to go and adopt someone else's cultural identity. Exactly. So, and then the thing is, again, with these these the the, the tribalized identities, we and they always perceive that it's just a people of color kind of identity, right? Native mm-hmm. Americans, Black folks, Asian some Asian folks uh, who are trying to find their tribal or pre-colonial identity. Indigeneity and indigenousness is always in relations to the political nation state that they're part of. You, we, I've been working with Sami people from the uh, from the Scandinavian countries who are fighting as white indigenous peoples against countries who are telling them that they're backwards, they're not modern enough, etc. Right? But you don't see Norwegian Americans or Scandinavian Americans coming in and all of a sudden being like, "Oh, I'm a Sami person." I'm a Sami tribe, right? And and so it's just this really weird thing when they say de, de tribalize as if it's trying to return to a mythical time. 
Exactly. That they will never know. And so they, the only way they can think about it is by Googling it. And then they see Facebook or they see a website of someone who's trying to answer the same question by piecing together small tad, tidbits of historical facts, right? That's written. And one of the things that one of the, one of the Filipinos who were telling me is like, well, like, uh, what is your history? What's your written history? And I'm like, first thing of all, my people are oral people. We don't have a written history. Written history is very exactly. modern for us. And so we are connected to our land. And our land says that you're not part of our land. Simple as that. <laughs> like you're not like, you know, there are many Filipinos are, uh, create this narrative of like, oh, the first man and woman came out of bamboo sticks. And I'm like, Okay, but that's not my tribe's, uh, you know, uh, cosmology. We didn't come out of a bamboo stick. We came out of the ground. So all of a sudden, oh, you're gatekeeping your our, our, our cultural or our indigenization movements. So I'm like, yes, because you're clumping us into the, we don't we don't we didn't do bamboo sticks as a as a cultural identity. Yeah, it, it's you know it's a fucking tough man. Like, I wish, and it's the funny thing is like you have like the Chicano professors that. You know, I think I mean you have these conversations. The Chicano professors that um, I don't know if you even could even talk about it, but that that to promote, you know, getting rid of indigenous studies, or they'll say like indigenous sovereignty is white, is white politics. You know, I, I showed you that one. You know, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. it's like, and you confront these Chicano professors, and then they they don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck about what you have to say. It's like, it's like. My voice as, as an indigenous person doesn't matter because, you know, they're Chicano, you know, like all Chicano professors, I say <clears throat> that Chicanos are like the biggest tribe in the U.S. I'm like Chicano, Chicano people are not a fucking tribe, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and for to, to call them that, you know, it's literally a threat to our sovereignty. So now these people that don't know how, don't have, the, you know, the connection to a, a tribal community and don't, you know, they're assuming they're, they're, they're indigenous somehow want the same rights as indigenous peoples, you know, and that's that's a threat to sovereignty. And these and these Chicano professors and Chicano departments are pushing that, and it's dangerous. And they don't give a fuck about it. And and then on top of that, when you you know when I try to have the Chicano people, you know, um, um, come on the show to talk about this stuff, they literally tell me, I don't know that much about native issues. You know, you listening to your shows have shown me I need to take a step back. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's the first group of people. The second group of people is people that get really fucking aggressive, right? And they and they, they don't come on the show, but they will like slander and they'll stalk and they'll give death threats. You know, and it's like just such petty shit. And <clears throat> instead of having conversations, you know, they were like, "Oh, this guy's a gatekeeper. He's a piece of shit." You know. Oh, he was in the military when their own buddies like this, this one dude, like he said, oh, you're, you're in a fucking military. You, you know, you're, you're a fucking colonial fucking pawn. But like they're fucking his fucking buddy in the same organization used to be in the military, you know? So I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, what the fuck? So I'm a pawn for being in the military, but your buddy is not. And he wasn't in the military. He was in the military, too. And you, all you're doing is picking and choosing, you know, finding reasons to not listen to me. You know, and if you're doing yeah. that, then that's not even academic or intellectual. That's fucking garbage. Like, mm -hmm, learn, mm -hmm. learn, to, learn to tie your shoe first and then and then talk to me. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things that um, these people like, you know, 
it's, it's really tough, man. Like I, I think we had like this, you know, wannabe indigenous Chicanos, like make slander videos and like talk about my kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. like the most petty bullshit. All because like, you know, like they don't want to hear like, uh, you know, like critic criticisms towards Chicanismo. And it's like anything in any subject, even, in, even, um, indigenous studies could be critiqued, you know? So to say yeah. like any subject, you know, Chicanismo can, cannot be criticized to me, it's not academic, you know, like if you can't criticize your own department, then what the fuck are we doing academically? Yeah. But I think one of the things that we need to also understand, and then I think many folks don't want to have a conversation with is like the Chicano movement and even the Filipino, like what we call, like I call the Bye Bye Lad movement, um, has really sprung up in the United States that has exactly. a disconnect or this uh, that does not have a conversation with the nation state of Mexico and the Philippines, right? Yeah. And so, what happens when again, like you imagine this indigenous, indigenized, decolonized space and identity, this geography that actually is disconnected from other folks who are part of the land and who's also part of the nation state that you are away from. Yeah. Right. Like Filipinos are like, well, this is what uh, like in the Filipino community, some of them are like, well, the Philippines was called Maharlika back then, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, that was a lot of what conversation with, with certain ethnic groups. We did not have to leave in Maharlika. And that's a complete creation and something that became very invested in Philippine America. Um, and so like when we come in, we're gatekeepers, right? Because I guess as an indigenous person who's trying to preserve identity, our culture, our land, we have to step back and give way to first and foremost, the emotional need of someone who needs to decolonize and indigenize versus and uh, versus us, but what we're going through and our, that means our anger is invalid. Yeah. So there's something that I don't know. I don't know if it's going on, you know, in the Philippines, so it happens a lot in America. I don't know if you've ever encountered it, in, you know, in your situation. So there's sometimes like indigenous people that, that like, you know, the term cuddle, they cuddle with this like Chicano, you know, activists and, they, you know, and, and it, it, they, you know, cuddle with their like stupid, oh, we're all indigenous ideology. And then, you know, native people are like, yo, you know, talking to this native person, you need to calm down with this shit. And they're like, no, no. And they don't budge. Do they have that in the Philippines where there's like a native person that just helps promote these like pan-Indian, you know, mm -hmm. views. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this, there's this person who's from actually my tribe, Ifugao, who came to the United States and is part of this decolonization, indigenization movement. And a lot of us tribe, my tribe were just like, why are you sharing our, our, our healing rituals to folks that's not part of our tribe? Like you're not even coming to us and teaching us our, you know, what does it mean to do these healing rituals? We have to learn it from like, when you go back home or with our, with our immediate family. But if you're a shaman from our tribe and you're coming to the United States, why are you afraid to come and talk to us? And I think there's two things that are happening there. Some indigenous people both, I, I, and then I've seen those also Native American folks who, who, who really part of this, the Chicano movement, um, I sometimes think that's a strategic relationships, but sometimes they get consumed in that strategic relationship. Exactly. And they, they don't realize that sometimes they become props. Exactly. And then another thing is, and, and this, I think this pains me more as someone who has a particular 
political point of view on on economy and you know and the nation state is it's it's a it's a job yeah exactly he's exploiting it's just, you know it's, it, they, they, they give self, money, yeah. you self, yeah you self-exploit for the need for the for the for whatever survival needs you might need for your community or for your family or for yourself hey i'm gonna do this beaded necklace for my like for me and in my tribe we're gonna do these beaded necklaces and sell it because we know that filipinos would love it yeah dude that's that's the thing like i, I have witnessed one time that there's this guy that was like claiming to be wicho like music player so he would sell cds from he was like i sell music from all the tribes in mexico i'm like if you're a wicho how, how can you sell music from every tribe in mexico one two he came to claim to be an elder right and then three, like eventually, my friend was like following this dude, and you know she was like all over him. Like, he's gonna teach me how to play music. You know, eventually it came out that this dude was like sexually exploiting her because she was trying to find. You know what I'm saying? He exploited that his like elder role, and I'm like, dude, like this dude seems sketchy as fuck. You know, like I tried to warn you, and then this dude fucking exploited you or you know took advantage of you. You know, fuck that shit. Like people like that. It makes me so fucking mad that 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 mm-hmm. people like that fucking exist. But you know, and we have to be careful, man. Like people that exploit our cultures, and even even if he was native, what he did was fucking wrong, right? To this young lady, you know, yeah. selling CDs like that, and you know, everything he was doing was like asinine. And to me, it was like that that type of behavior, you know, it leads me to believe: Are you native, or what the fuck? You know, and that's where my, my, my thing comes in where I start questioning. I have questions like, um, what the fuck, what the fuck, who the fuck are you? You know, now I have questions. Who the fuck are you? You know what I'm saying? Who's your family? So, yeah. So, yeah. But, and I'm not going to call out like, since it's like someone who's from my tribe, like I'm not going to call out someone who's like a neighboring tribe because I'm like, Hey, your people need to control you, but I have every exactly. right to control some, uh, like shout out to someone who, who is from my particular village who's doing that, you know? Yeah. I think the, the, the thing with Mexico is like the sovereignty is like almost non-existent. So anybody can claim anything, right? Like I had this mm-hmm. lady tell me like, she was like, this is my elder, look. And she gave me a piece of paper. And then like, um, she was like, this this paper shows that he's indigenous. I showed it to my wife because she's native from Mexico. And, you know, and it, was, it was in Spanish too. So she read it and she was like, this paper has says nothing about about being indigenous. So I ran into another organization that's that was like Pura Pecha, you know, in the US, like there was like an organization, you know, and then like they, they read it and they were like, this this paper doesn't say shit about being indigenous. Like, so that paper, anybody could have gotten. It always said it was like, oh, there's gonna be like language exchange, but it didn't say he was native, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I was just like, fuck, what the fuck, people, man? They believe anything they see. Like some dude waving a piece of paper saying like, oh, look, I have this piece of paper. I'm native. When that paper said nothing about that, it was, it was fucking frustrating. It's And I think that's one of the things that people need to understand is that indigeneity, nativeness, all these categories, one, is always in relation to the nation state, yeah. right? Um you can be indigenous. I, we are not, den- I, like, for me, I'm not denying that your people came from whatever part. Yes. And there's also political identities that need to also be recognized that are, that people are, like, legit communities are struggling with 
for their identity and for their culture and for their language. And for you to erase that by saying everybody is indigenous, this qualifies the, the, the government, the nation state government, the government of the country killing indigenous peoples because they are demanding their sovereignty and self-determination. Yeah, I agree. So I think people want to be allies to native people. And if you don't know if you're, you're from a specific tribe, maybe you should take, take a step back, you know, and you know, if you find out you're native, if you actually find out you're native, like part of like indigenous culture is like, it's like shutting up and learning, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, and you have to like sit there and listen. So if you're online, just spewing garbage, well, you know, one day you're like Aztec, the next day you're like Chichimeca, the next day you're like some, you know, fucking, you know, misappropriated fucking community, then maybe you need to calm the fuck down, you know? And that's the thing, people, people's egos, there's a whole another conversation about, you know, you know, the, the individualist ego in America, you know, people don't like their ego to be hurt, you know, but yeah. I think, I think, you know, we need to, you know, these people need to like realize that that's not how many communities work. Even with me, like I grew up in California and I, I actually bought into the Chicano um, ideology growing up, you know, cause I wasn't raised around Comanches. And then when I started, you know, my, my early adulthood start going around Comanches and then I start spewing these dumb shits. You know, I had a tribal member pull me aside and said, hey, man, that's your pan-Indian incising. You're fucking wrong. And this is why. And then I went mm-hmm. the whole spiel about sovereignty and, you know, cultural sovereignty and historical and all, all this stuff. You know, and I was like, oh, man, I've been fucking up. You know, like I went mm-hmm. through this transformation as well, you know, because, you know, the whole Chicano like narrative so heavy in the Southwest and here in Texas too, that yeah. you think it's right. But then when you get deeper and then you start talking to native communities, you start realizing it's not fucking right. It's fucking wrong. And then the whole historical part of Chicanismo and then, you know, the Jose Vasconcelos and then like, you know, this whole mestizaje and all these other things that I've always talked about on the shows and people want to lo- learn more. They should listen to this fucking show. But that's the thing, like mm. with all these things that, um, that that you know I've been talking about that they that shit is not known within the mainstream. You know what I'm saying? Because not everybody that's Chicano goes go study Chicano studies. In, you know, in colleges, a lot of them I'm like yeah. I'm Chicano, fuck it, without knowing what that term means. And that's the thing. Like, so people are like, oh, I'm indigenous, but even the term indigenous, like you're right, is 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 like a pan it's a pan term. It's not it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a specific tribe. You know, and it doesn't it doesn't mean people of color. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't, you know, talk about histories, you know, especially the history of, you know, Mexico, the U.S. It's just in, indigenous. Well, what the fuck does that mean? You know, that's what, you know, native people say, like, you know, there's one thing I, I do notice, like, um, you know, native people, they introduce themselves in their own tribal way. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I think that's. That's the next frontier for for that the Chicano community. That's where I start to see, you know, them misappropriating greetings now. You know, for now, mm-hmm. on. and that's oh man. I'm telling you, it's they becomes they're fucking clever, man. It's it's kind of like 
condensation. Condensation morphs and has tentacles, you know, and it morphs into what it has to be to keep colonizing. With the Chicano community, it's the same thing, man. It morphs into this like monster that it's like, oh, we have to land acknowledge. Oh, now we have to do greetings. And it's like, yo, but who are you? You know what I'm saying? Who yeah. are you as a person? You know what I'm saying? And like they can't answer these questions and it's like and it's hard. It's hard. But yeah, you know, I, I don't want to. And I think that, yeah, no, no. Ahead. And I think that's interesting too, because I think these these land acknowledgements and these greetings that are now, quote unquote, being indigenized, right? They're like, oh, I'm not going to speak in Spanish. I'm not going to speak in English. Um, one, I think one of the things that I have a hard time with is that when we talk about decolonizing ourselves and decolonizing the way we think, we never want to talk to our elders. We always end up going first and foremost to the internet. Exactly. And talking to some. And I think, yes, that's more simplified way of finding identity. But if you're, if you're, I, I, there's this, how can I put There's this need first and foremost to de, uh, de-emotionalize the research. Then if anything, they go and ask their, their, their elders, their, like their grandparents. And I think that's one of the things that they that many folks fear is not necessarily what they find out about their past, but more so if their grandparents say, "I don't know," like exactly. they cannot comprehend the 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 response of "I don't know" or "I don't care." Yeah, so that's a thing. I seen I seen some people that are like online, you know, like influencers, you know, in this community, this like you know, like uh, Chicano communities. Some of them are like. Oh, my parents, exactly, exactly that story. They told me that we don't, they don't know if we're indigenous or not. And I was like, no, we are indigenous. I had to convince them we are indigenous. I'm like, though, if your fucking grandparents and your parents say they don't know if they're indigenous, why the fuck would you convince them they're indigenous? I mean, this is your own, mm-hmm. this is your own family saying that they don't know. Right. But then you yeah. think you're indigenous because you're a shade of brown, you know, and that's, that's another whole topic about like, brownness in mexico like just because you're brown doesn't mean you're indigenous that fucking totally ignores black history in mexico right mm-hmm. and other other histories around the world that people migrated that were also brown so you know that's a whole thing like um that people were like oh I, i'm gonna convince my my family that we are indigenous even though nobody knows and it's like yo that's not that's fucking weird you know how do you, mm-hmm. at that point if your family's telling you they don't know they're indigenous and you have to try to fucking convince them and they're really telling you no, you know, I don't know at what point would you ever stop? Like, it's, it's like a mental thing. Like, do you ever, it's like, hey man, maybe I should you know, dig deeper into my family before I, I start talking, but they don't, they just keep going. And it's like, dude, it's like a, it's like a freight train moving, you know, really quick. Like you have to stop. And it's like, I can't. I have to, I have to keep on with this identity. I can't step back. I have to, I, I have to keep retaining I'm indigenous, or else my followers would be like, "Oh shit, he was a fucking fake, or she was a fake," you know. And that's the thing; like, they have to like maintain this identity. And it's, it, I, I watch it online with, with some of these people. I'm like, man, like, like it's like they have to like mental gymnastics their way around, you know, you know, like. Uh, claiming a new identity, you know, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. fuck. So, and I think that's interesting too because I think a lot of things are changing. I want to say in the past year, two years, and I want to acknowledge that that now, if we indigenous people are being seen as gatekeepers, now I want to argue fact that older generations are being seen as gatekeepers by a lot of the younger folks. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed or heard about like 
how metro national is fighting internally to try to say, you oh, know, yeah. Chicano is problematic and Atlan, you know, it, it uh, silences native sovereignty and native rights to geography. And the first one, when when Mecha folks started, uh, you know, college students started um, bringing those topics up, it was the older Chicanos who were saying, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the geography. You don't know the struggle. And same thing with many Filipino Americans now. I wanna, I'm saying that a lot of folks are coming into conversation and be like, hey, we need to problematize Filipino and Tagalog-centric identities and this decolonization. And so I think there's a shift. It, I want to say it started in the past couple year or two, but it's still small. And I really want to see where this sort of like sort of uh, bubbles up later on, because I think it's happening that the 1960s and 70s model of decolonization, indigenization and activism that sort of pushed all the way to the 2010s is now being really critiqued by a different generation yeah. who are saying, even African-Americans, like Black students of mine are saying, hey, why are we wearing kente cloth? Is that something that's appropriating a particular community in Africa? That doesn't mean that we are, you know, that we are disconnected from. Our, you know, like I said, the Mecha students, uh, Filipino students, and uh, like other folks are really now, college, younger folks are now really thinking about when we say decolonization, indigenization, are we actually hurting people in that process? Yeah, I agree. I think, I think with the whole Mecha thing, I, I, I mean, I watched that carefully because I, I've been talking about this Mecha problem in, you know, Aslan problem, you know, for yeah. a while, and I do notice that the older generation of the hardcore Chicano sources, you know, they they were attacking the youth, but like just like I said earlier, man. Any department could be criticized in academics, you know, yeah. and th they they're becoming actually admire the new wave of Chicanos because they, they will say we can't be claiming indigenous um, identities. We can't be claiming indigeneity like this are the new wave, the, the, the newest wave of Chicanos. And I, I'm trying to work with them, you know, and they, they, they're pretty open about, you know, being allies. And, you know, I agree with that. But the, the the older generation is like, oh, we're Mexica, we're Aztec, and you know, this is this is blah blah blah, Aslan. I confronted some Chicano organization here in San Antonio, and it was like they were carrying an Aslan flag, and I was like, yo, that's kind of. I explained to why it was offensive, you know, and they was like a blank stare, the most blank stare, like he didn't know what the fuck I was talking about, you know, mm -hmm. and then eventually. Like I was like, hey, come to dinner, come to lunch. No, 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 no. And eventually came to like, I was like, you do whatever, dude. And I, I was like ignoring him. And then like, so I publicly here in San Antonio criticized Aslan. And it was like, I got fucking death threats. You know, and like the only, the only smarty pants. It's a, no, the only good smarty pants is a dead smarty pants. What the fuck does that mean? And then they're going to, they're going to play on the tropes of that's colonial mentality. That violence is the, the like, in, like epitome of colonial mentality exactly. to kill yeah, exactly. an indigenous person for speaking out exactly so killing me because I'm, I'm critiquing chicanismo and it's like this was like i think 2010 i i was mm -hmm. you know criticizing chicanismo and back then i was i was like a dull knife i knew i, I knew it was a problem but i didn't know like the, the details you know and until when the ucsd and i met you and then we started having conversation and then i went to law school and i was like this is my, my you know me as a knife is a lot sharper now you know mm -hmm. but you know back then in 2010 I was, I was criticizing chicanismo online and 
man, people posted my picture with my address and they were telling people to shoot up my house. Right. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? Like, can we have a fucking discussion? And I imagined as I got higher in academia, like my master's, my PhD, like that violence would dwindle down. But it hasn't, man. Like as I'm going higher, like the people that are becoming more aggressive are other faculty, other other academics, people, you know, and it's like, yo, it's wild. It's very petty. You know, this I don't know, man, it's hard. So I oh, know. Yeah. And I and it's like. And same thing too, like I had uh, this, again, this group called the, they're called Bye Bye Lads, which is sort of like a decolonized, indigenized spirituality kind of group, um, who was trying to put curses on me to oh. try not to, not, not to be successful and not to, or like not, you know, pass my PhD program. And I'm just like, one, you learned your curses and your ceremonies online and some visit, like a spiritual <laughs> visit, you went to the mountain. Like I legitly can go to my mom's room and be like, hey. I need this blessing, like you know, like you you had three di- three different gender uh, like steps to find that curse. I can literally just go next door to my mom's room and just be like, "This is what's happening. Can you counter curse it?" Yeah, that's wild, dude. They, they told you that. They told you they were cursing you. Yeah, one one person was like, "Oh, we're gonna get uh, folks to uh, to um, write do a like a, a chanting circle uh, because of you of your, because of the violence that you're enacting on us, and I'm just like, you're gonna try to put a curse on me. Let's bring it on. Like, like I'm not gonna Google a curse. Like I can legitly practice it right now. Like you know. Yeah, it's funny because like so, so one time somebody tried to Karen me, right? Like you know those Karens. They were like, I was like, who? I was like, who is you? Who is your family? Who what tribe are you? And they were naming like different people from different tribes, you know. And I was like, "That's not how it works." And one of them was like my friend, and I and I called him like right after conver- after the conversation, and he was like, "I'm not her elder. Like she's not from my tribe. Why is she telling you that?" And I told her, you know, like, "Hey man, like this person's like saying that you know he doesn't claim you, and you're you know like I was like this, this leads me to believe you're not native," and she was like, "Who are your elders?" And I was like, "You really want to talk to my family?" My family, yeah. you know, of all the fucking people, like, <laughs> it's not like there's like a board of fucking elders in a tribe, you know, like, this yeah. is your, your fucking family members. And I told my family and they were like, they were like, you want me to beat her up? I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, dude, like, they don't understand that there's not like a, a fucking like, like some weird board or council of elders in the tribe. No, man, these are people's like family members, you know, like, what the fuck? You want to speak to yeah. my elders? It's fucking weird. Like, don't be a Karen, dude. Relax. <laughs> and I think there's also things because, like, I know, and this is where my family also comes from. Like, when I came to the United States, and even my family from, like, who is, you know, registered in the Philippines under the Philippine like structure, um, the fear. I want to be very intimate. The fear of being seen as an indigenous person was so real that they also like wanted to become Filipino. And that's where many, oh I think a lot of indigenous and cultural minorities like around the world um, who are not coming from like the United States or like in Mexico, et cetera, are, are, are afraid of, of not passing, mm-hmm. right? So I, I have this, um, um, what's it called, uh, academic who was writing about uh, indigenous people from Oaxaca who comes to the United States and pretends to be Mexican so they can they, they can blend in and not be discriminated by Mexican-Americans. 
And I think that's a different construct now that when we talk about pretend Indians, you know, or like pretend native folks, um, it's also the opposite because of the fear of this, of discrimination within the community that folks are erased, that are demanding the erasure so they can blend in. Wait, so that becomes a defense mechanism. I don't understand. So they, they're Mexican Americans. They go to Oaxaca, come back and they claim to be Oaxacan. No, no. So this, like uh, this scholar was, and I can send you this thing too um, later on. Like there's this, there's these indigenous people from Oaxaca who's coming to the United States. And instead of saying, oh, I'm from Oaxaca, they just say, that I'm just, you know, they're Mexican. They're Mexican. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Because and yeah. It's not, for me, at first, at first, I was very disturbed by that. And then I realized, oh, shoot, that's how my family functions as well. Because we came to the United States and I learned how to be Filipino in the United States. Yeah. A lot of native people I'm noticing from Mexico, they don't even want, they don't even want to say where their pueblo's from. Because they don't want because like those, it's the fear. Yeah, it's the, exactly. It's that it's that they don't want like Mexican Chicanos and Mexican Americans to come to, to go down to Mexico and like fetishize their community so they don't even say where the community is from. And this I see I'm seeing this a lot, right? And then also and yeah. also the like, let's not just like I mean I guess when I say like the two generational thing, like younger generation or more quote unquote the Chicano movement folks who might want to go and you know, learn about that community versus the older generations who don't identify as Chicano, who is like Mexican, who discriminates against those communities. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And the same thing here, too, because like we hear all the time folks who are like, you know, older generation Filipinos who are saying like, oh, those igorots are not real Filipinos. And then in the younger generations who are saying like, oh, I want to get an igorot tattoo. And so the igorot community all of a sudden becomes defensive. And many folks sort of navigate Filipino-ness differently. And I don't know if you saw the KPBS. There was the KPBS uh, oh, documentary on Asian yeah. Americans. Um, the first episode, the first episode, the first 10 minutes or so was an Igorot auntie who talks about how the Igorot community was part of this World's Fair that the United States created to showcase like indigenous peoples in its colonies, right? But she was very intentional to say that she's Igorot. She's Igorot and she's Bontok tribe. She never said, it was It was the producers who kept on saying she's Filipino, but she never said she was Filipino because they know also that there was a stigma to be Igorot. There was a, there was discriminations from Filipinos if they found out that they were Igorots. No, oh, man, yeah. And so like the, there's, that the, the denial of tribal identity or indigenous identity, many folks find as a way of self-defense mechanism. So my kids will not be discriminated upon the same way I was discriminated upon. I'm just going to claim that they're, you, you know, I'm going to raise them to be Filipino and not know that they're tribal identity, even though the parents themselves are registered. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah, I, 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 that happens in Mexico, too, like... Uh you know, the simulation, because, you know, indigenous people in Mexico are seen as like some weird lower class, you know, because colonization, um, but it, it's, it's hard. So, so yeah. you know, before, you know, I want to ask you two more questions, not about this topic. So to close yeah. out this topic, so if people, what do you, what advice do you give to the Philippine American community so they would be more respectful to the indigenous people in the Philippines? I think the first thing needs to do to be is to have an understanding that the, there's in the Philippines, it's cultures of the Philippines, not Filipino culture. And that's that's already a big marker right there. Just to understand 
the diversity and the com complex identities that are part of the Philippines that cannot be simplified here. And once you start realizing that, then you can start realizing, oh, what ethnic group or what indigenous communities am I really part of? Yeah. Right. Um, rather than the simplified notion of going online and being like, what is the tribe closest to my people rather than what is my people? Like the Tagalog people who is like the ones who are, I want to say, you know, has a monopoly on, on culture and language and identity in the Philippines have an in pre-colonial identity themselves. But the thing is, it's not accessible. It's not easy enough for many folks. And so they go and look for the most accessible, most uh, um, quote-unquote realistic thing they can find. And then they just look at indigenous people from the Philippines on Google. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, that tribe is closest to my province. And pretty sure there was a some form of communication and therefore now I'm part of that tribe. And I'm like, no, it's more complex than that. Exactly. Like there, 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 you cannot deny the modern and the contemporary issues indigenous people are facing in the Philippines and also understand that the Philippine by constitution, by history, post us colonialism is a settler nation state it has always identified yeah. as a settler colonial nation state you have presidents who are saying we need to colonize these are filipino presidents we need to go colonize and civilize and modernize the aitas the aboriginal communities in the mountains the igrots the lumads the moros the palawanos all these different the mangyans like there was a project done by their ancestors to say that we were not Part of their community and so what is this now demand that if we say we are not part of your community we're now gatekeepers and playing tribalism yeah right so i think it's more complicated to then then to you know just throw around indigeneity or indigenous or indigenization and decolonization just because you took one ethnic studies class <laughs> yeah Right. It's yeah. much more complicated. You took one ethnic studies class on colonial history of the Philippines or of Mexico or, or Western colonization. And all of a sudden you're this like, and, I, and I'm using this very intentionally, it, this indigenous warrior that you, you're trying to fight the colonizers while you're in diaspora, while you're not in, you know, without, you, but at the same time erasing indigenous peoples who are who are still struggling today. Exactly. You, you're raising indigenous peoples. Exactly. Yeah. So. If you want to be an ally, one, you don't have to buy our props. You don't have to, you don't, we don't have to be props to your indigenization and decolonization. You can legitly wear a t-shirt and a jeans and be like, hey, I'm pro-indigenous people's sovereignty, self-determination and land rights. You don't have to be like, you don't have to go and Google and buy something online and wear the jewelry and the, or the, um, material cloth that we that our tribes create and be like this is how i'm on the, uh, an ally now for you're an ally and a consumerist now yeah that's that's the thing that a comanche elder told me that somebody came up to her and was like oh you're native so why don't you wear turquoise why don't you have your hair in a braid and she was like i'm, re I'm native regardless if i have my hair in a braid if i wear turquoise or not she was like i don't need yeah. i don't need to be like uh, be wearing props for you to accept me as a native person and that's how i see it you know what I'm saying? I don't need yeah, to be and, wearing beaded stuff or always like talking about or talking a certain way or acting a certain way just for you to be comfortable with my indigeneity 
You know, like I don't need to be doing that. I don't need to be wearing native stuff. I wear it, but it's none of your business when when I when I do or when I wear it. You know. Yeah. So yeah. And then and we also have to make sure that we also complicate like this process of like subtle recognition shit, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, and those things are are very complex, and I think there's a difference when it comes to certain policies versus in the United States and how things happen outside of the United States. We cannot conflate federal recognition politics in the U.S. and how things are happening in like Australia, or things are happening in Japan, things are happening in like central mm -hmm. parts of Africa. Like those structures are different and so if you want to say decolonize whatever process then you need to first and foremost understand the process of that country before you compare and contrast american structures exactly that's the that's a weird thing we have here the native people here in the u.s is we're fighting like two different fronts the first front is colonization against the federal government against you know uh, federal recognition, blood quantum bullshit. You know, I don't agree with blood quantum. So some Chicanos, mm -hmm. they'll tell me, "Oh, you you're for native sovereignty, then you you support blood quantum." No, I don't. That those those are not synonymous. You can't say I support sovereignty, so I support blood quantum. That is a, the biggest bullshit. I, I'm against blood quantum one. So mm -hmm. the, the next the next front we're, we're facing is like the race shifting front. You know, the the misappropriating people. You know, I, I, I was listening to a podcast. There was like two federally recognized Cherokee tribes and over 200 fake ones. So that's another front we have to do. We have to like protect our sovereignty from the U.S. and then protect our sovereignty from like people that are pretending to be us, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a, yeah. that weird balance is like we have to do. And people don't ever talk about the second front. The second front is as dangerous as the first one because the moment mm -hmm. somebody else you know claims to be indigenous when they're not and takes the indigenous voice and silences indigenous peoples they become the colonizers right so yeah with indigenous mask and that is fucking because the, the u.s government doesn't say hey we're native too no it, it knows it's a fucking colonizer right it knows yeah so but the other side are trying to be a colonizer with a fucking mask and that shit is fucking scary you know so yeah i mean i don't know it's, it's fucking and i think there's also if we look at for instance like many quote-unquote post-colonial countries right philippines you have indonesia malaysia you have mexico brazil etc that after quote-unquote formal and you know we always have that weird time frame right formal colonization there has to be neo-colonization that happens, a new form of colonization, which yeah. is in order for the, the, the state, the Philippine nation state, to maintain its boundaries, it has to colonize in now. Mm. Yeah. And that's something that many folks don't want to have, don't want to address. And then they, uh, that, you know, like Philippines was after a while, it's <clears throat> like, hey, we need to colonize the rest of the islands. The Americans left. So we know and we can control these people, we can control these lands, and we can have a map. Same thing, like if you're really for decolonization, and again, these are like a lot of critiques of like scholars within who work within like the French and framework, et cetera, is that if you're really decolonizing, then you sh we, there shouldn't be a problem with like one billion nation states then. Yeah. So like if you're really pro 
self-determination sovereignty of particular of, of marginalized and different ethnic groups then we then you should be okay with no like if you're saying no borders or no boundaries etc then you should be okay also with the fact that there should be in the philippines if there's 180 ethnic groups there should be 180 nations then yeah yeah i agree that's the thing with with um man it's tough you know you know we we try to you know have these conversations and i hope people are listening you know you know know if you're fucking up maybe just take, just take a step back dude you know and if and if you want to learn you know learning takes a process you know it's a process to you know it's a journey so you can't just be like instant gratification oh i'm indigenous you know and, and you can't just google it no, you cannot Google it. You, you gotta quote it. If you're gonna decolonize, decolonize the even internet. Dude, even even when even when I you know not being raised Comanche, I knew a Comanche. I never Googled that shit. You know that's not something I did. You know I, everything. My my journey is mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it Same was never me, yeah. Googled. It was never Googled. And I was always like, I don't even want to tell my story right now <laughs> because people are yeah. gonna get you know, all my business. But yeah, man, like Google internet is not your friend when it comes to this stuff. You know, like finding, finding other than finding maybe, you know, your family tree. Yes. You know, and I, I don't recommend DNA tests either, but, you know, it's one of those things that uh, man, I was going to ask you something, but what the fuck I forgot. But yeah. So the next subjects, um, I don't know which one you want to talk about the difference between ethic studies and aerial studies or imagine migrations in the Pacific. Oh, yeah, I think so. I, I, one of my things that with ethnic studies so i went to this ethnic studies conference in san francisco uh, san francisco state to be exact um and this filipino professor there that's respected very much so in the community when we indigenous people said hey when you were creating ethnic studies asian american studies or like filipino studies how did you conceptualize indigenous and cultural minorities in the philippines and how our relationship would be if we come to the United States. And he jokingly said, and he, he first he made the joke and then no one corrected him. And then he just skipped the topic. His response was, we didn't know your people were allowed to leave the Philippines. Oh my God. And so as a joke that they, like the people in the audience laughed and four indigenous people were in the audience and we were just like, how the fuck do we get out of this room now? You know? Um, and I think that's one of the things. <laughs> ethnic studies, the third world liberation movement as a whole within academia had a good intentions to address complex identities, diaspora, you know, Native American studies, Africana studies, Chica even Chicano studies had good intentions in it's trying to complicate things, right? I think it later on devolved into the fact that ethnic studies became too stationary in the U.S. construction of race and ethnicity. When I don't think that was the, like talking to some of the ethnic studies elders, that wasn't the intent of the, of the ethnic studies movement. It was to complicate the nation state. It was to complicate colonization, to complicate U.S. relationships. But I think ethnic studies became very food group like. This is Africana studies. This is Arab studies. This is Chicano studies, Asian American studies, mm -hmm. you know, Native studies. And so the food group structure became prominent, and that sort of like butted heads 
with what I want what, what many folks identify as area studies, which is the studies of like, like, like the region or the countries uh, from that perspective, right? So Philippine studies fought with Filipino American studies uh, in many conferences that I've been and I've heard and I've heard of, because they don't agree on certain uh, language and how to address the Philippines. Like here in the Philippine, here in the United States, it's Filipino American culture. In the Philippine, Philippine studies, it's cultures of the Philippines. Those are intentional words that are being used to simplify or diversify the the nation, the, the country, right? Yeah. And also within even within many Filipino American circles, this ongoing discussion, I want to say that happened in the, in the late '90s, started main so are Filipino specific islanders. And that's a very Filipino American question because in the Philippines, they would say, that, no, we're Southeast Asians. Philippines started the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And in Filipino Americans, because of their demand to find a decolonized space, an indigenized space that links island nations from island nations, they use Western anthropology to say, hey, these Polynesians came from the Philippines. And my first argument with that would be like, first Polynesian is a, is a, is a colonial structure. And two, Philippines didn't exist when people were migrating. So how can you say Polynesians came from the Philippines? You can't, because the Philippines didn't exist. And two, if you look at the oral histories of many Polynesians from, you know, Kanaka Maoli from Hawaii, to Samoans, to even like you know Micronesians and Melanesians, they their their cosmology is from island to island. Yeah, they went from one island, moved to another island, po- uh, po- uh, you know, populated that island, and then next group, next group, next group. Right? They never stated an origin story. It was always around migration and ocean and land to land. So how can you say? you know, Filipinos or Pacific Islanders and Polynesians came from the Philippines, With by, by, by that statement alone, you're disqualifying many Pacific Islanders' cosmology and creation stories. Yeah. Just because you need to find an anthropological connection to something, which is funny because they would say Polynesians came from the Philippines, but they would never talk about how Philippines, Malaysia, and Indonesia have a cultural connection to each other the modern nation states of Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want, they want to go only in the time frame of Philippines to, to the Pacific, but never, you know, Indonesia to the modern Philippines or whatever those, those countries back then were called, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this weird conversation that's happening and it's starting in academia now, um, but it's also still butting heads with many, I want to say, academic gatekeepers who refuse to have these discussions because they want to maintain the nation state identity. And then all of a sudden you have Filipinos who are like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we've always been diasporic. Well, how are you? And then they relate it to Hawaiians, native Hawaiians, Kanaka Maori. And I'm just like, well, how did you become native Hawaiians? Oh, we're all from the same island. We migrated back then. And I'm like, you're creating a mythological time frame. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're in Turtle Island. <laughs> I'm like, how many like this 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 demand for an imaginary, 
you know, migratory island structure is yeah. is very romanticized. Yeah, you and know, that's where ethnic studies sometimes have a like my my critique of ethnic studies. Yeah, oh, man, that's the, yeah. It, it's it's wild. Like I think I, I, last time I went to Hawaii, I don't know, if, you know, I'm, I I, I want to share a story, but <laughs> you know, but um, there was you know uh, Alaskan natives there with me, and huh. they also had like a. Um, you know, like culture being out at sea, you know, or see, see people, you know, and then their stories about, you know, um, talking to, to, uh, to the, the, the native Hawaiians about your know, wayfinding, you know, it was, to me, it was really cool because like, even the Hawaiians were talking about like, um, from what I understand, they were they got an elder from from the Pacific Islands from another another island island it wasn't Hawaiian Island it was another island to teach them you know wayfinding the old school way and it was like this whole connectiveness that that the, the picture I was painted that you know there was like Pacific Island people that were connected even to people in Alaska you know what I'm saying hmm. and then people from Alaska yeah. were connected to even people in California and this whole migration system that we had before before like you know Europeans came around was massive right yeah and and, and to me I was just amazed how how just imagining you know that was to me was beautiful it was like you know we people want to think that you know native people or the way the western you know um anthropological way was like oh we're just like simple people we didn't we didn't have no science no that shit it was fucking science the way we traveled mm -hmm. back in the day was our way of science it was our our science you know and how we migrated to you know the, not me because the way you know they migrated to the ocean you know was it was amazing you know yeah and i, I think that um i, I don't know it's it sharing a story so <laughs> oh yeah and i think that's it that's a thing where it's like you know, the, I think the the pitfall when it comes to like Filipinos, Filipino Americans, Filipino Americans thinking about these like this like ocean voyages, right? Mm -hmm. Still simplifies the fact that like my tribe doesn't, you know, don't, didn't have a word for ocean because we were mountain people. Mm. So like, so for you for folks to say like, oh, like Filipinos migrate, you know. Polynesians came from the Philippines and migratory. It's like, well, that also again, they can all simplify the diverse com uh, cosmologies that are ha that are part of these communities. Hmm. Like some people did not migrate, and we need to understand that, you know, their creation story was that they were from the ground and they were there, and then that was it. And but I think there's this romance for many Filipino Americans of this we are all pacific islanders but then they define who pacific islanders are like they will not identify indigenous people from taiwan who's struggling with the taiwanese government for recognition land rights mm. and even cultural rights yeah. as pacific islanders right we have okinawans and ainus like the ainu people of japan like i know this was a, the presentation that i did at, at ross's class you know were did not get citizens did not get federal recognition from Japan until fairly recently as an yeah. indigenous people like Japanese is not homogenous there are the Okinawans and then there's Ainus who are still struggling with the with Japanese country mm -hmm. and who are 
islands in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's ongoing struggle. I remember the question, by the way, I was going to ask you. Uh-huh. So, okay, so I, I encountered something not that long ago, which was, I was just like, what the fuck, <laughs> you know? But somebody told me, you know, going back to the gatekeeping thing, that since people can, you know, self-identify, this is what I was told, like, no bullshit. Uh-huh. Since people, since people will, can self-identify their genders, why can't they set up self-identify, you know, their, their ethnicity? So they had this dude that was like white dude saying like, if, you know, like if I can, why can't I just, you know, claim to be black? Why can't I just claim to be native? Well, you know, I was like, dude, like that's a fucking like, a community. You can't just claim a community if you don't belong to it. But he was like, you know, they were like, you know, like, oh, but I can, you know, change my gender. Why can't I change my, my ethnicity? I was like, God, oh, God damn it. You know, like, I yeah. don't know, man. So you want you want to speak on that? I think that, yeah. So I think that's always an interesting conversation of uh, there's a difference between transgender, trans, uh, the trans community as a gender identity and sexual identity, um, when it versus the transracial identities, right? Yeah. Because I think there's a difference between again, racial construct is very real in many in almost every country, right? You just can't be like one day uh, I don't identify as as white and therefore I'm going to identify as black, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, Dozel. Yeah, Rachel Dozel. But I, <laughs> Rachel Dozel. And I think there's also uh, an interesting thing where it comes to these racial constructions and these I can't. Why can't I just be indigenous? Well, yes. Again, there's there's a particular lens that they're coming from which simplifies those racial identities. If they're going to say, I, why can I identify as native? Well, what then are you trying to identify as? Because the first thing you're going to do is create stereotype, stereotypical tropes and that you can Google online and find an identity without actually having a connection to a particular group, right? Exactly. So you simplify it. Versus if you um, want to find, uh, like if you are a trans person, you've struggled with it growing up you've struggled with your gender identity and and if anything also your sexuality um and you try to find uh uh an identity that is yours that you can that you can relate to versus someone who's literally like saying hey i'm tired of being white it's not a struggle like if you were gonna say like, hey, I want to find out if you're a white person. If you're, hey, I want to find out what my my ancestors are, and if you can figure out some way, and you're like, hey, you're one, you know those those because they they love numbers, right? I'm you're one sixty fourth Native American. Cool, you're one sixty fourth Native American. Now what? Yeah. What is your next step? What is your, what are you, if you're going to say I'm one, one thirty one sixty fourth Native American, well, I don't, I can't do math, um, whatever. And you can figure that out. Are you going to play on the stereotypes now? Because you want to figure out what your Native identity is. Are you going to try to go to the community and be like, hey, I found out I'm from, you know, the Chumash nation. Like my ancestors are part Chumash. Are you going to go to the Chumash people and try to learn from their identity? And understand that you're not part of that community anymore, and that you're coming at it from a respective space. That you're actually saying, "Hey, I found out 
can you help me figure out if I am really too much or not? Or if my ancestors are, I might not quote unquote be in the, you know, some, some, I don't know the, the, the blood quantums of every tribal nations, but also then being, being opening to yourself and be like, Hey, I don't know. And I'm, I need to be okay with not knowing. Right. Yeah. So what happens when wanting to know becomes a fetish? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, like, you could be a, you could be a, like, you know, and, 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 and again, this is my, my biggest thing. It's like, why are folks, particularly for white folks, you, there's this need to find a native identity, but simplify the fact that, oh, I'm one, one fourth German. And all of a sudden, I'm not, but I don't want to connect with German identity. I want to connect to the 132nd native. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah exactly. Like, why, why can't we be comp? I, I think that's the biggest thing. Why can't folks accept complexity and yeah. they want the simplified version of their identity? Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to claim to be Aztec, but deny I have like any type of European roots, or even like acknowledge Mexican immigration history, acknowledge even going back even further, acknowledging Spanish history, how they were, you know, for, mm -hmm. for the longest hundreds of years you know, were ruled by, you know, Arabs or Muslims, you know, and mm. how they have like race there too, different, you know, different racial categories in Spain. Like the, even, even going back that far is too hard for them, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's, you got to see that, you know, it's and that, nothing is like, oh, all European is white. I mean, you know, you don't, then you don't know European history, you know, you just don't, yeah. you know, it's fucking stupid, but you know, it's one of those things that um, oh it's hard. I don't know. Is there anything you and want? To... Go ahead. And I think that's it's too, because it's like even even to me when we say Eurocentric. Well, what, what what do we mean by Eurocentric? Like, there's like you know, are we gonna include like, for instance, the Romas, commonly known as Gypsies, the Roma people who were migratory, who are in various countries, are they part of this Eurocentric? You know framework that we, we that many folks throw around right mm -hmm. um and like i said like if if you if you want to be transracial th th that's your journey is it acceptable that's going to be up to if you have other transracial folks that think that you're okay with doing that but at the end of the day you're you could, you're legitly trying to figure out your identity and you're taking the easy way out yeah i think i think you know i will say this about uh, Chicanos or, or people that want to claim Aztec or whatever when they don't know if they're not or Chichimeca or whatever. The one thing I always propose is helping indigenous people in Mexico, helping their sovereignty be even stronger, you know, because like I said, mm -hmm. Mexico, Mexico is a stellar, stellar state. So it's one of those things that how do we make, how do we get rid of the settler state in Mexico and replace it with an you know, indigenous government? But that conversation needs to be had with indigenous people in Mexico, right? Not with yeah. Chicanismo, not with anything else. So I think we need to, like, take, even me, somebody from Mexico, needs to take a step back and be like, you know, talk to these communities themselves and see. Because some people, some I've talked to natives, and some people, natives don't like the same method or the same tribal government or the same sovereignty the U.S. has and other natives do in Mexico do, you know, so it's all different, you know, um, some, some, them, some of them told me to, you know, they just want to be left alone. And, you know, it's one of those things that 
you know, we need to have a conversation and you can't just put one one size fits all hat in Mexico, you know, but we do yeah. need to get rid of the seller states and their sovereignty doesn't need to be stronger, you know, so before, you know, you want to claim something that you don't know if you're not, maybe you should just promote that idea because in Chicanismo, there is not a conversation about how to help indigenous people in Mexico with their sovereignty. It doesn't. You know, mm -hmm. and that's that's the issue I have with Chicanismo is they want to propose Chicanismo as some sort of like pan-Indian fucking liberation ideology when it's not. It's not liberation. Chicanismo is far from it. So if anything, it's pseudo-colonial, but whatever, you know. But yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to like, and again, this is one of the things that I talk to my even my own students about these conversations around like the, the, like the, the, because it's happening in the United States, right? Is that a form of American exceptionalism that you yeah. can, you can do these kinds of like appropriation because you're not at the the, the, the home country. Exactly. Because if you were going to do it at the home country, you would get called out almost immediately by the indigenous peoples. Exactly. And that's the thing with, with Chicanismo is like, People in the in Mexico don't know what, don't know what the fuck Chicanismo is, and then when you explain explain them, you know Chicanismo, they're like, what the fuck? And I've seen their reactions like, what the fuck is that? Fuck that, you know? So it's like, how can you be a liberating ideology if native people in Mexico say fuck you to your ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Literally a fuck you, you know? And then start criticizing, you know? So you have native people that have migrated here from from you know mexico you know they're refugees or they're just immigrants you know and they become scholars in the u.s academic you know um you know body here in you know in the u.s and it's, they they themselves criticize criticize chicanismo and the moment they do it's just like fuck and chicanismo is like fuck these people and it's like yo like these are the people you should be talking to but instead you're slandering them you know, and that's that's mm -hmm. the fucking problem we have is that, you know, it's, they don't listen to native people in Mexico. They want to be they want to be that with the motherfuckers in charge. They want to have this classism where like the Chicanos are on top and native people, you know, you just should give them their culture, their, their you know, their, their sovereignty and be like, here, liberate us, please. Like some white savior bullshit. I, I don't mm -hmm. play that shit. So. Yeah, because so, so when I was interviewing uh, this neighboring tribe elder, so my mom's Aita side, so she's Sambal Aita, and then this, I was interviewing a Batolan Aita. Um, she, this elder was telling me that she can't, that the, the community as a whole cannot be left or right, cannot be, you know, a leftist government or she calls the Philippine government, capitalist government, right? Because one government, one form of, of uh, politics, the left politics tells, told them that their culture is backwards and dying. And the other one said that it's too old and needs to be modernized. One, the left told them that they need to re-educate themselves uh, and let go of their culture, while the capitalists told them that they need to sell their culture. So indigenous people are caught between these frameworks that many folks are, and like in, here in the Philippines, in the United States, leftists, um, organizations don't understand that indigenous people are pitted with against the politics of the left and the politics of the nation state and at the end they're still consumed by both peoples oh, right yeah, and that, so yeah. one like you know one the philippine american collects the indigenous identity as as material possessions and in the philippines they tell them that those identities should be put in museums, 
and so there's this this weird thing and i don't know if it's happening in, in like in chicano community as well where the amateur museum is actually filipino americans who are going to the philippines collecting tribal quote-unquote tribal artifacts and and indigenous cloth and they're making their living rooms um <laughs> this 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 like amateur museum they're collecting they're legit, yeah. legitly collecting indigeneity to make a point that they're presentable to be indigenous yeah that's fucking wild this, this, and I've seen some folks in, you know, Mexican Americans, kind of folks who are like, "Oh, I got all these weavings from the Chiapas, and it's all over my wall now." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah, did you man. pay them equal fair trade, or did you barter so you can get more? Because now you're really, now you're really thinking. If you bartered and didn't pay equals, you know, equal payment for it, then you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. That was that was my struggle, like for until just like this last year recently was like like making the balance between, you know, um, what well, I, I don't like capitalism. So there's no fucking balance. So mm-hmm. but like my how I classified politically outside my indigenous identity, like it was my socialist and my not a socialist, because like for the longest I talk about I talked about this <coughs> on my last podcast um, when I talked to when I talked to Nick Estes from the Red Nation, they're uh, Marxist indigenous um, organization in New Mexico, or they're a communist organization, however they want to identify, you know. And I'm I'm very far to the left, but when I was going around these non-native, you know, leftist organizations, they were super fucking racist against native people, you know, giving me nicknames, mm. like two feathers. They're talking about raping native women. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? This is not right. How can you be liberating if you're talking about raping native women, you know? And it was mm-hmm. just like, really disgusting. And I actually had a hard time. Like people used to ask me like, are you socialist or communist? I was like, I was like, I didn't want to identify as that because like the leftists or the, the socialist in, you know the non-native socialists are so fucking disgusting that I I'm, I'm having trouble even like you know having solidarity with them. I am I am socialist. You know you know uh, I do identify as socialist or leftist, but like it has to be indigenous leftism. You know like the red mm-hmm, nation. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, man. Because you're right. Like you know you know the left sometimes tells natives like you know like your shit's dying you're right and then there's a right is like you need to modern modernize and it's just like joe dude can we just <laughs> preserve our own shit you know yeah be, be ourselves without you telling us what the fuck to do and it's just it's, it's hard man you know we have so many different fronts we're fighting in at the same time so yeah that that's that's my that's my thing with with you know um with native academia because sometimes sometimes writers they they focus you know really hard to the left and other writers focus not on the left and it's just like i'm like why do we have to play this sometimes left right politics but you know like i said i i cater to the left so you know it's one of Mm -hmm. of my things that um i don't know it's just stuff on top of my head but i know you have to go soon because you have family coming over so um is is there anything you want to say before we close out I think that uh, one of the things that I'm I'm still I guess struggling with 
and not in a bad way, but I think it's just because I've been hearing a lot about it. And I've started identifying a little bit with it is this new movement um, with many global indigenous folks um, that's outside of like white settler nation state like the United States, um, Australia, et cetera, Canada, is this the, what they're calling out the fourth world movement. Um, I don't know, have you heard about that? No, I've never heard about that. So pretty much fourth world movement to simplify, because um, it's complex and, and depending on the region you're from is indigenous people in the in post-colonial countries who are saying we're tired of being part of this colonial country. And so there's a big movement in like Central America, in some parts of Africa, and Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines. Um, and they're calling themselves fourth world movement because they're saying like, no, the modern nation state and its geographies doesn't work for indigenous peoples. And so we, so like, it, so pretty much they're saying like, is decolonization and post-colonialism a failed uh, project? Because now the current country, the modern nation state is perpetuating the same violence on indigenous people that they have marked as non, non-majority, right? Yeah. And so, like you, I know, I know some folks. Uh, for instance, like there's an Okinawan organizer from who's from Okinawa, which is part of Japan, right? Who's saying like, no, we need Okinawa needs to be separate from Japan, and we're part of this fourth world movement, and we need to decolonize from Japan. But Japan was never a white country, right? I mean, it was you know bombed by white people, but what then how do we have this discussion of indigenous or internal minority internal minoritized communities demanding a different relationship with the nation state yeah that's the so yeah go ahead yeah. sorry go ahead go ahead yeah so that's the thing with this podcast like i always tell people one of the main questions i ask sometimes i don't ask them because they tell me they don't know they don't want to talk about it but is is that I say, how do you imagine? Because you know, one of the, one of the articles was, you know, was decolonization is not a metaphor. And you know, mm-hmm. Professor uh, um, Yang is when? at, at um, UCSD, and I met him, you know. And I even asked him, how do you imagine decolonization? And he had like no fucking answer. So I was like, what the fuck, right? If it's not a metaphor, how the fuck do we imagine it? You know, like how what how, what do we imagine how life is gonna be after? I'm just gonna say here. In, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, after the seller state is gone. So then I even simplify even more, right? How do you imagine the political structure, the government structure after the seller state is gone? And people are like, I don't know. I'm like, if you don't fucking know, then how can you say decolonize? How can you say something that you don't even know what it looks like? And I always tell people, my thing is like, and I, I make it so fucking simple for them. Like, I imagine, and this is how I imagine it. Like, there is like a, a government body with one member from each tribe, a representative, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lawmaking process. And there can be like another, like another house with like people that are non-native so they can get some, some sort of representation too, you know? Um, so, you know, to me, politically, sovereign, total sovereignty, total decolonization is when native people make laws on their own land. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah. since there's so many fucking tribes in the U.S., like... You know, it's we need to you know work together in some kind of government body. You know, but then how far does it go? Like, should we also 
encompass Canada and Alaska? Should we encompass Mexico? What if some some, yeah. some of these communities don't we part don't want to be part of their own government? What if they want their own decolonial government the same way but their own? You know what I'm saying like you can't force them, but you know that's the thing. Like we have to imagine, you know, a, a government body where native people are talking to each other. Can you imagine a government body with native people talking to each other? And then we can talk about blood quantum, like fuck blood quantum. We don't need this shit. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, like this tribe wasn't recognized by the fucking colonial government. They're part of us. Right. Or this yeah. tribe right here, this tribe paid the, some us Senator to become recognized by the States. We, maybe we should talk about them and how maybe we should like, um, see how that, that history, that, that embezzlement, you know, cause there's some tribes that, People claim that they paid some senator and then they got state recognition. Let's just be real about that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. so we can talk among our, amongst ourselves. Like, hey, what the fuck's going on here? Like resources and you know preserving culture and preserving languages. That's what I imagine decolonization. Not political parties. Not a fucking ideology like Chicanismo. Like that itself is decolonization mm -hmm. for me. You know what I'm saying? And you know where there's no structure where there's you know like anything that's some seller state or some like hierarchy of like you know like race structure like oh chicanos are on top or none of that bullshit you know what i'm saying and then what does that look like at uh, 500 years after that like how would dynamics change after that you know because i will also talk about you know um black natives what about the role of black people like Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. what does that look like? What kind of representation do they need in this decolonial government? Because they were forced here and they're not going back. I refuse. They belong here now with us. You know what I'm saying? They, they, yeah. they have a history here with our land. So they, are they part of that decolonial government? Like the, 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 the native structure or are they part of the non-native structure? I think they should be part of the native structure because they're part of us now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, mm -hmm. you can't kick away, you know, refugees. You can't kick away immigrants. I mean, this hit, this continent has a history, a really strong history of like immigration from all around the world, man, all around the world. And I think to say, you know, there's some native people that are like, oh, they should go back to their own country is fucked up. Right, because you don't know why people came here in the first place. Like some Chinese people came here forcefully to build railroads, and their ancestors—I mean, their their descendants are still here. Right? Some some mm -hmm. came just from migration. Some people came, you know, forcefully. Some some like had no choice. Like we, all these are conversations we need to have with this like indigenous Senate, right? But. That's the thing. People want to say decolonization, but they don't know how the fuck it looks like. So, so to me, I'm on, on that balance too. Like, like, should we maybe like restructure how we? And then not only that, like how we say decolonization about other parts of the country where I have no say so, like the Philippines. Like, how do you imagine the Filipino, the Philippines decolonized? You know what I'm saying? I, I have no say so on that. So that's something like maybe you or the Philippines, you know, Filipinos or the native people there need to imagine. I don't know. Right. So, yeah, and I think that's another thing is like, I, I'm as much as I think because, yeah, decolonization is not a metaphor. Decolonization should not be romanticized. Right. I also think that there's this really interesting thing where when people say liberation, decolonization, or, or what's it called? Uh, what's the other word that they throw around? Um, revolution. Right. Oh, yeah. It's always in the construct of the possibility of doing, but never what it looks like and what's the day after. Like exactly. I always tell my students, when you're saying we need a revolution, I'm like, perfect, yes, 
yes, we do. What does the day after the revolution look like? No one knows what to say to it. Exactly. Right. And so it's just this. It's, so for me, I, 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 I think more so on the fact that how much have we romanticized decolonization, revolution, liberation as just mere, not even metaphor, but just mere fetish at yeah. this point, a mere imagined state without actually having the conversation of what it will look like. Yeah. Right. And I think that, I mean, I don't know what, why, and what's Wayne's, you know, response to that. Uh, but I also think it's one of those moments where there's 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 this constant dialogue about revolution, liberation, decolonization, and there's never a conversation about so what how do we do it? Exactly. What's gonna look what's what's gonna look like? What's the day gonna be looking like after? What's the week after gonna look like? Exactly. Right? And so because I can almost historically look at it in, in, in a Philippine and Philippine historical structure. The day after revolution, uh, well, the day after many in the, uh, communities revolted against the Spain, then the Americans came, right? And then yeah. after many folks started fighting the Philippine-American War, and and then there's this promise for independence happened in the 1940s, 1946. Um, the day after the the liberation, quote unquote, the first thing the Philippines government did was like, all right, we gotta maintain the nation state. We gotta internally colonize now. Exactly. We need now to make sure that you know, so we don't what does it mean to really be liberated? What does it really mean to have a revolution? What does it really mean to decolonize without perpetuating the same violence that you already know? That's that's you know, for example, talking about that, that that's what my concern when I talk about the conversation. I always tell Native people, what if like the U.S. government just collapses, like the, you know, the Soviet Union, right? You never know. Mm-hmm. Like, and economically, it's it's a possibility, especially how things are going right now. You you don't know what what the fuck. And the first thing that's gonna happen is these white militias are gonna start taking over towns, right? And that's fucking scary as fuck to me, right? So who are these people that are trying to take over after? So one example of like this like new government within the u.s is this like secession of california from from the u.s right people talk about that let's break away from the u.s start our own country and i'm like you want to start your own country where native people are still not in charge why don't you talk about giving california back to the native people then right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. does it have to be a new country where native people are still not in charge that's still colonizer shit. i don't give a fuck you know, it, and what and then what happens to nations who are in two counties and or two states? Exactly, like the Shoshone people, like they are in Nevada, Arizona, and California. Yeah, so you know, so, exactly, you're right. Go ahead. So who gets who gets to like define these? Like we gotta separate California from the rest of the country when that that liberals perspective and again, like I, I don't play on the liberal conservative tropes, but I just want to say like that particular liberal like neoliberal perspective demands an erasure of nations of, of tribal nations indigenous native american nations who are already not part of particular state boundaries and borders yeah so my biggest fear is like you know let's say the u.s government collapses like whoever's in charge after says fuck native sovereignty fuck these tribes they need to assimilate back into 
you know, to whatever this new country is. That that myself, my, myself is just like fucking unacceptable, you know, and that is why I push for, I always ask people, you need to imagine what the colonization looks like and accept no less than that, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing, like, but this whole, this just like the beginning of this episode, it's like people want to fetishize and they want to like say the slogans, you know, decolonize yourself and it becomes about yourself, never about the bigger picture, you know, like how can we self-identify, I mean, self-decolonize, like that's nice, nice, but what about the bigger picture? What about legally? What about sovereignty? What about, you know, moving past a seller state? What about what it, what it looks like? It's, 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 we have to do these things. And, you know, I, I never heard of this fourth world movement, but hopefully, hopefully, I don't know. I need to look more into yeah. it. So. And I think a good example would be like some of the things that I've been hearing and learning about from the, like the Hawaiian community, the, the Kanaka community. They're like, hey, if Hawaii secedes from the United States, everybody there is going to be a citizen of Hawaii. There's going to be representatives. And then there's, you know, and it centralizes Native Hawaiian identity still, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, there, there's a there's a plan from what from some some of the activists that I know there, um, from the sovereignty movement. And sovereignty does not mean, you know, semi autonomous. Sovereignty literally means independence. Yeah. So that's that's the thing about Hawaii. When we were in Hawaii, you know, with, with Native organizations, with we had natives from like, you know, fifteen different tribes there. The Hawaiian people. We went to a university and they um, showed us their language program and they were talking about how they only had like a certain amount of people. Now they have like, like I think it's like 70,000 speakers now in Hawaii, their native languages. And some are not, not even indigenous, some are like just regular non-native Hawaiians, right? To speak fluently, you know, um, and English is their second language. And, you know, and their language program is fucking successful. Right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. their, their native uh, language is that's the first language to learn. English is second, you know, and um, but like us in that class watching these videos of their success, we were like, that's not easy for us. There is only like one language, native language in this in these islands. But like in the U.S., there's hundreds of languages. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. we incorporate that into like where our native, you know, native people are learning as a first language, but at the same time, you know, part of the, I don't know, the colonial structure, but how do we decolonize in the same time? You know, yeah. mm-hmm, it's just like, mm-hmm. do like non-natives learn this native culture? Cause some, some people, even some Comanches don't believe in teaching non-Comanches Comanche language, very protective, you know what I'm saying? Of like our language is just barely within like a couple of months ago was posted online and that there was fucking f- feuds within Comanches about that, you know? And, you know, it's, it, they made they, the reason for that is to make it easier for Comanches that don't live in the area to learn. Right. But at the same time, yeah. some of them are like, some people are going to exploit this, right? Some people are going to exploit this shit that are not Comanche and they're going to like, you know, you know, just, it's, it's bad. So, you know, like I see both sides of the fence the same thing with like cultural stuff. There was a thing where here in, in, in San Antonio, there was a fake tribe that took culture from another tribe in California, bird singing, because they learned their culture from YouTube, right? They learned that culture from YouTube and they re 
we fucking um, named it to river dancing from bird dancing and said that that was this was an indigenous culture here in San Antonio when it wasn't. So like so now native people, you know, I started seeing these conversations like, hey, maybe we shouldn't put nothing online, you know, and maybe we should keep it ourselves. So, so we have all these really hard conversations to have, like protecting ourselves, just like I said earlier, like two different fronts. The, against the U.S. government, the, the settler states, mm-hmm. and then the, the other front is other people that are trying to be us. So, it's, and how do we move forward on top of that? So we have it's actually, you know, three different fronts that moving forward with two different things on our backs. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's again, we just need there needs to be a, a hard, painful conversation about this rather than just constantly thinking about decolonization revolution right like you just can't throw that word around and be like we need a revolution and we're gonna dismantle the nation state and we're gonna do this and like yes you're romanticizing and imagining up to the event then what i think that then what is where people don't have a conversation uh uh, you know a perception about is because they are too caught up in the process yeah, man, that's that's the problem. Yes, that's the pro- yeah, exactly. It, it, it's to me, it's just like people don't even want to understand the complexity of like native issues, but they want to talk about revolution and liberation. But like mm-hmm. when when this shit comes afterwards, man, these same people that don't take their time to understand are going to become the oppressors themselves. So that's how I see it. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm going to close it out right now. Um, I want to thank you for coming on and don't hang up. I want to ask you some questions when I, you know, stop recording, but, um, but thank you. All right. Thank you so much. So, so we're, we're back. Okay. So we were talking about NASA and I brought up that, um, that, you know, people, when NASA happened in New Zealand, um, I, I was getting people were sending me stuff like, "Hey, do you know this person? This person's from Texas. This person's from claiming to be San Francisco, San Antonio, because they were going to, you know, these pretend Indians, these fake, what I call fake natives, were going to to NASA to like, I don't know why they would go to NASA, but they were going to NASA and they were saying asinine shit, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then like the natives in NASA were some of them had like groups on Facebook. And we're like, who the fuck is this person? Hey, anybody here from, you know, like Oregon or whatever the fuck, right? And then they'll be like, you know, like, who is this person? And is this person actually indigenous? Because NASA itself is being like fake natives or like people that are not native are going there. And like, why would you think they were going there, Joseph? So, so well, yeah, so nice uh, to, for the audience to know is the Native American Indigenous Studies Association, and they have a conference almost every year, um, or they try to have it every year to address not just Native American studies, but global Indigenous studies, yeah. indigen- like the problematics of being in like indigeneity, indigenization, and decolonization. NASA folks have no tolerance for fakeness or pretending identities. Yeah. Um, my personal experience when I went to the first one I went to was in UCLA. It was in LA region, and so I was in my father's tribal attire, um, and then I saw someone who I thought was like, "Oh crap! Here's another Filipina pretending to be Igorot, right? Or someone who's tri- she's pretend she, she has the the tribal attire." So for two days we looked 
each other in the eye and we just stared each other down, not knowing who each other was until other people brought us together and be like, hey, you two are the only two igorots here. But just to think about the fact that the community actually is like, hey, you two are the same, you know, nation, nation or community, you should talk. Is the type of support network that NISA, that I got from NISA yeah. because I didn't see folks who were like, oh yeah, I'm here to decolonize. I actually saw folks who were like, hey, I'm indigenous and I'm critiquing the fuck out of decolonization. Exactly. Um, and people who go there, sometimes in their intention, best intention was to be like, hey, I want to learn. But the problem is some people go there to learn and then take it back to wherever they're from and then reappropriate what they learn. Exactly. Because one of the things that People are, and then again, this falls on this imagined identity that indigenous people, Native Americans can never be modern, right? This plays on that trope. When people go into NISA and, and, and I've heard folks who are saying like, you know, critique NISA and like, why wasn't there a blessing ceremony? Why isn't everybody oh like, you know, doing an ancestral workshop on how to decolonize? And you're like, no, we're not about that kind of shit. Like, we're not going to do like a healing circle. Right, yeah. we're not gonna go do some ancestral like veneration and and um, offerings of food to an on an altar or whatever. Like that's not the point of this comment. This is like we are here to be critical. We're we're both we're academics, we're activists, we're social organizers, community organizers. We are cultural bearers, and we get to be in this space and be like, how the fuck is ha- what's happening in your community? What's the fucked up thing that's happening there? Let's, let's critique this shit. But there are people, like I said, who's going there thinking they're going to find some kumbaya, um, you know, healing circle, holding hands, all of a sudden playing drums and gongs and, and doing a, some form of, you know, circle thing, circle uh, ceremony and get really disappointed that they're not getting that particular thing met there. And I think that's the most hilarious thing ever. Like one person even asked me, like, hey, we've never had an Igorot blessing before in our community. Like this is a Filipina who was just there for the conference. And I'm like, that's nice. You shouldn't. Are you Igorot? No. Okay, you need to stop. Yeah, that's the thing. She I, just, yeah, she just got quiet. Yeah, I, I encounter stuff like that. But, you know, okay, so I had to tell a story. I had to go back a little bit. So I, there was this person that did something very offensive here in San Antonio, culturally, you know. And this person... Uh-huh. I, claims to be detribalized native when we talked about that earlier. So I, I actually made PowerPoints and that's PowerPoint was the history of indigenous sovereignty was like from like the British colonization all the way to like, like modern, right? It was like fucking like, I don't know, 40 something slides, right? And then I, I, I broke down decolonization is not a metaphor into section slides. And that was like, I don't know, 15, right? Just mm-hmm. so because... So, to not give the person an excuse, oh, I don't understand it. So I broke it down. So she didn't have to read it, right? So I give the PowerPoints. I was like, here are the points of the article, and here's the points of the, you know, like sovereignty, what it means for sovereignty. You know, she came to my house with her family. You know, I cook dinner. This is like, you know, a thing. Like I make dinner, and I, you know, we want to see the presentation. Making these these PowerPoints lasted. It took me like almost a month. Right? She came to my house. We talked for hours. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I understand native sovereignty. She left. And then like fucking like a month later, she was like posting on Facebook. Like, if you just found out you're indigenous, here's 10 things you should do. I was like, then they were asinine. I was like, hey, man, you got to chill out. That that list is really fucked up. And, you know, she was like, 
oh, you live in fantasy land. I'm like, hold up, you know? But then she was like telling people that, and people were coming up to me, they were like, hey man, she's saying that, you know, she's, she went on, what the fuck? She, I think she, she took what you what you told her and made some shit up. Like she said that Aztec dance groups, danza, the Capulis, are sovereign nations. And I was like, that's not how it fucking works. Capulis, Aztec dance groups are, yeah, no shit. She, she was saying that Capulis are sovereign nations. And I was like, that's like, it's like saying me, saying Comanche Little Ponies that, that you know, or, or, or dance societies are like, um, or, or sovereign nations, where they're not, they're, they're dance societies, right? So like, she took what I said about sovereignty and sometimes somehow shifted it where her little dance group was somehow a sovereign nation, you know? And I was like, mm -hmm. yo, what the fuck? But then this person also raised, GoFundMe raised money in San Antonio to go to New Zealand, to NASA, you know? And we're talking about earlier that, you know, uh, people, I was getting screenshots, not screenshots, but like pictures. People were sending me pictures like, hey, do you know this motherfucker? Like this person is saying stupid ass shit here in NASA. I mean, natives at NASA were like sharing, like, why is this person saying like this really hurtful things and trying to find out who these people actually are. And that's the thing, man. If you're there in NASA to learn, that's cool, man. But if you're in NASA to like push a fucking narrative that's not that it sounds fucking stupid. Like if you, and, and you're not, no, on top of that, you're not native. Like what the fuck? Right. Don't, mm. don't non-native your ass. Don't, don't squeeze, you know, yourself in a space where it's made for indigenous people to share and then, and then, and then learn something and come back and then tell people you learned this and that and then spread fucking garbage. And this same person went in a podcast here in San Antonio and this person was talking about yoga. I'm like, how many, how many cultures are you going to misappropriate? Right? Like how many cultures mm -hmm. are you going to, are you, are you going to like exploit for, to, you know, for yourself? It's really fucking disgusting, you know? And I think, you know, that's the thing, man, like people like, I look, I look forward to NASA. Like I was going to speak at NASA for, you know, race shifting within Chicanismo, but that's the thing, like, man, like, like even before, like it, during the New Zealand thing, you know, when, when there was New Zealand, I mean, I, I, it was a lot of like buzz of, you know, native people like figuring out who, who was what, because man, people got to non-native people got to chill out, man. When when coming to native spaces, that's all I gotta say. So. Yeah, no, they will not. So they can do that in various ethnic studies conferences. Like, I mean, I'm part of a Association of Asian American Studies. I've gone to American Studies. There's a lot of folks who navigate certain, like, academic spaces differently. But my experience in NISA, like, they will call you out. Right? Yeah, man. Like immediately, they'll be like, "So, are you what? What tribe? Like." Oh, you. Even those people are like, oh yeah, I'm part of this, and I'm like, oh perfect. That, that we know folks who are from that community. They're over there. Like I say, like yeah. the, the like the young the the PhD student that uh, the graduate student that I I thought was a pretending Igorot was actually also an Igorot, um, but we took two days of just staring each other <laughs> down. Uh, because I was like, fuck, this is another one of those people who's pretending. And I'm pretty sure she was like, fuck, there's another person who's pretending to be one of us. <laughs> and it wasn't until the last day of the conference when people were like, we've seen you two just eye each other. You two need to talk because she's from this tribe and you're from this tribe. And then when you found out, we're just like, oh, fuck, we could have been friends like three days ago. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's also the, the play. It says a lot about also the insecurities 
and and the reservations of indigenous people and native yeah. folks when they see it because they cause people shouldn't see that as like oh you're 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 gatekeeping whatever whatever right but we've been hurt so much that we actually have to question our own community exactly. if they're real or not because at this point we don't know who's who exactly you know in right? texas texas a lot of people want to claim comanche because you know comanches were in texas and like a very simple question. It was like, "Who's your fa- who's your folks in Comanche?" So I will say, you know, my folks are da 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 da, and I start naming, you know, uh, my families, you know, and like when when some people here in Texas they claim Comanche, they can't even answer these questions. I'm like, I, I'll I'll straight up say it. I don't think you're Comanche, straight up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know, or if you are, maybe you should just go back. Like this is the basic knowledge of who you are, who your family is. Is like the very basics, you know, of like indigenous people like if you don't know your family like then what the fuck how your family's connected to the community you know this native community then maybe you should like chill the fuck out a little bit but yeah man it's just i just i don't know we have to come back to record because it was very very, very interesting <laughs> so but yeah hopefully nisa um whatever wherever it might be next year um that could be a good conversation but also i think that would be a great place for you to meet folks who might who could be critical of those things as well and yeah. be part of uh, the, and I think this this podcast is not just like a conversation between us and a conversation people hear about that that would get angry at you right but it's actually my my thing on it is if people are that angry about what you're posting about you know Chicanoism about indigeneity and decolonization that means they have so much more issues that they have inside of them than the actual thing that they're hearing. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a thing. Like, the, only, the only thing they can do now is threaten you, right? Yeah. Physical threats, you know, online threats, slander. There's some weird stuff. Talking about my kids, you know, saying my kids yeah. are not native. You heard that shit, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, what more wild. of a colonial mentality is that? You know, so it's one of those things that um, I think... Like it's funny because I had two two Chicano people on my podcast. One like was like a couple months like a couple months ago, and, and then one was like a, a year or two ago. You know, like I talk to Chicano people and I work with them. You know, and it's just like I don't have to like be like, hey everybody, I do work with Chicanos and post it. No, I don't. I don't have to like blast their names or anything like that. But I do, man. I, I I'm constantly talking to them, and man, this new wave of Chicanos that that criticize you know race shifting. I think they're the future. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I think that's where we have to start catering to these. I want to. I, I don't want to sound old or anything because apparently millennials are old now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, you gotta cater to how the Gen Z starts really complicating these identities. Yeah. And and because I think the Gen Z are the ones gonna push the the millennials and the older millennials and then I forget what's the one after us before us. Um to really think about like, hey, you know, you did these research, you did these conversations pre-internet. Yeah. What now is the new model of life and model of, of conversations do we have? Um, and it's not in a simplified manner. No, yeah. Yeah, it's... Well, this is a, it was a good conversation. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yes, and just let me know if there's other opportunities or other ways, and you know we we'll connect to make sure that these discussion doesn't stop in this, we you know segment. Yeah, I agree, you know, and we'll have you back on. So, I, <laughs> thank you for that.